the best time to worship the Lord is when you're going through something. Amen. Amen. I'm happy to see everybody here. It's a pleasure to be in the midst of the saints, the people of God. They did a survey. Um, so they did actually um, a research, right, an investigation about where would you find the most beautiful people. So they went to Hollywood. They analyzed the Hollywood celebrities. They went to, those of you who like African movies, Nollywood, Nigeria, those movies, um, Beyonce and whatnot, and um, Bollywood. Uh, I saw somebody chuckle at Beyonce, so you saw the movie? Amen. All right. Um, Beyonce, Sierra. So um, they went all over the world, Middle East, Europe, and find the most beautiful people. And you know where they found the most beautiful people? They found them in the church. Amen. And they found them in the church. Why? Because if you're a child of God, Jesus lives inside of you, and Jesus is most beautiful. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the most beautiful. It's been a rough couple of years, right? 2020, 20, and so forth. And now it feels like we're opening up. But um, I don't know if you guys saw on the news, uh, China, they're not opening up. Uh, if you saw on the news, they're like shutting down uh, Shanghai, which is one of their big cities, like hard. Like, like you would think you're in a movie hard. Like they have people in their, in, in their apartments and the drone comes down and the drone goes goes and says in, in Mandarin, um, stay in your apartment and resist your desire for food or resist your desire for freedom, right? And they're shutting down because they have like a zero, zero COVID policy and nobody can get out. And so you could hear the screams of the people where they're screaming to get out and somebody put on their, on their um, balcony, their fridge open, closed, like empty. They open the fridge and we don't have any food. We need to get out. And so I was watching that report and um, and the government would come and they would even take your keys so they can shut you in your house and you can't get out. So they were like, you're literally in prison in your own house. And that's what's happening in, in over there in, in um, Shanghai. You know, with the Internet, it's hard to keep it quiet. Um, but how many of us, that's how we are? in our lives. That's how we went through something and, uh, and we're shut down and we're, we're behind the walls and, and we're afraid of any hurt, of any pain. So we're afraid to get out and, and we're, we're shut down behind our doors. And today I want to talk to you and I want to tell you, open the door. It's time to open the door. So please follow with me in John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23. John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23. And as you know, we're going through this series where we are um, encounters with the resurrected Christ, right? So we had this trials of the cross where we, um, the truth on trial, where we uh, went through the trial of Jesus Christ um, and in his death, but glory to God, he rose up on the third day, right? Amen. And, and, and as he rose up, he met with certain people. So now we are going through the encounters with the risen Christ. Um, and so the passage goes like this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish elders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Father God, please bless your word and speak to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we have a situation. So it's a, it says on the first day uh, of the week in that evening. So if we follow the um, chronology, you would have Jesus would have died on Passover, which is Friday. Um, and then Saturday, nothing. And then on Sunday, he would have risen. And we saw last week that the ladies went to the tomb in in um in the morning you know, to take care of the body of Christ because he was put in the tomb in a hurry so now they wanted to give him a proper burial and then when they came to the tomb the tomb was empty right Jesus did not buy a tomb he just borrowed it because he would only need it for a short while he only needed it for three days um and so on that day so he rose and then the ladies came and told the disciples that Jesus had risen and the disciples Disciples with a deep amount of faith told the ladies, y'all crazy. They did not yet believe that what Jesus had promised that he was risen from the dead. And so they, the, the, the passage says that they were in the house where they were and they locked the doors out of fear for the Jewish leaders, right? Um, and when we read scripture, it's easy to condemn and judge the people of scripture because we have the benefit of hindsight, right? We look back and, and we feel like they should have known better. But if you take a step back and, and you put yourself in their shoes, can you really blame them? Can you blame them that they were scared and they were scarred? Um, their whole story started, they were young men and they were working, some of them were working as fishermen. Others were working as, uh, one was working as tax collector. Another one was a, a zealot, which would have been a terrorist, right? And, um, and so they're all a group of eclectic people. And one day a carpenter's son comes on the scene and says, follow me. And, and, and when he says, follow me, he has an authority to him. He has some gravitas to him for some reason. And they follow him. And early on, they see that this man is not a usual man. They go to a wedding and he transforms the water into wine. They, um, he, one of them says, oh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then and, and Jesus comes and he tells him stuff about his life. And he's like, whoa, this guy is special. And so they start following him and they see things that they never saw before, right? They see a man where he's able to say to the storm, stop, be quiet, and the storm stands still. He's able to come to them in the middle of the night and he's walking on water. When And one of them says, oh, if it's really you, let me come to you. And that one, Peter, he gets out of the boat and he himself starts walking on water. So not only are they seeing things, they're living things that they never saw before. At a certain point, they're hungry. The crowd is hungry. And they say, okay, we need to send them all into town. But Jesus says, no, you don't need to send them into town. 
You yourself give them food. And there was a little kid that came with his little Captain America lunchbox. I said, what do you got in your lunchbox? I got two fish and five loaves of bread. And Jesus said, okay, that's enough. Because if you bring your little to me, I can multiply it and I can feed a crowd. And so he goes and he does a miracle of, of recreation where he takes the five loaves of bread and he feeds 5,000 people. And the 5,000 people, we're talking about 5,000 men. So now you have to add the, 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 the women and the children to that number. So he feeds a crowd, right? So, and, and they partake in that feeding where they distributing and they have a basket and, and the, the bread keeps coming, you know? Um, can you imagine you're somewhere and, and you look in your wallet and the money keeps flowing? Yeah, and you're making it rain. And so they're with Jesus and in and, and that sense, they're making it rain, right? They're, they're feeding everybody. So it's not only that they're seeing things, they're living things. And, and to the point that they say, okay, you know what? Uh, when, when Andrew comes to Peter and, and, uh, and, and they, Philip comes and say, hey, come follow us because we found a man and we think that he's the Messiah. We think that he's the one chosen by God to deliver us. Now you would say deliver us from what? Well, the Jews were expecting a deliverer, something, somebody to come and set them free. But in their minds, he was coming to set them free from political oppression, right? He was coming to set them free from the Roman Empire. But Jesus came and says, no, 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 I'm too big for the Roman Empire. I didn't come to deal with a little empire. I came to deal with the real enemy. I came to deal with sin and death, amen? I came to give uh, the, the prince of the world a beating on this earth. I gave him a beating up there. I'm going to give him a beating on this earth. And Jesus spent 33 years giving the devil a beating on this earth. And when, 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 at a certain point, he's walking and there's a man, um, you know, guys, in, in the MCU, you have the Incredible Hulk, right? The Incredible Hulk, what happens when he gets mad? You can't stop him, right? The Hulk's mad. Well, in the Bible, there was a man, he was he was possessed with a thousand demons, right? And then so when and he, nobody could do anything to him, the only thing they could do is they chained him, right? Because nobody could stop him. And, and so he was he was living by the graves. He was living by the graves. And um, Jesus came by. And when he came, that 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 demon was like, oh, please, don't, don't. And he, he was afraid, right? Because he know he knew that Jesus was coming and Jesus was going to give him a beating because he knew who Jesus, who Jesus was. And so, and, and so he cast him out in, uh, in, in 2000 uh, swines that were there. And so he's giving the devil a beating. But then comes the cross. And, and well, before the cross, the Palm Sundays, they go into Jerusalem and the crowd is elated. The crowd is, is, is so happy because Hosanna means save us and he's coming and he is the king that comes in the name of the Lord, and surely he is the king that will overthrow the Roman Empire. But it became clear when Jesus was talking to them that he didn't come to overthrow the Roman Empire. So Judas is like, well, this is a waste. This is a waste. So now Judah goes and betrays, betrays him for, for 30 pieces of silver, and he gives his location. And now they come in the middle of the night, and they arrest him, right? And Peter, he's always hot, right? Who has a temperament like Peter? Amen? People that are like Peter, they're like hot, right? Always ready to fight. I remember when I was in school, there was this guy, uh, if there was a fight, he was fighting. He he doesn't even know. He just picks a side and he starts fighting. He's not even in the conflict. He starts fighting, right? So Peter takes his sword and boom, he cuts somebody else's ears. And, and Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't need you to do that. We don't need you to do that. If you kill by the sword, 
you will die by the sword. And, and don't you know, I can call a thousand angels and they would come and take care of business real quick. And so they take the Prince of Peace and they, and they, they, they take him on trial that we saw in the past few weeks and not, so they, they take him on trial one time. And then the unbelievable happened. The Prince of Peace, the Rose of Sharon is killed. He's crucified. They beat him. They spit on him. They mistreat him. The one that told the storm stop getting beat up. He's getting beat up to a pulp. And we saw that in the past few weeks. And then at a certain point, you expect maybe he's going to do a miracle. Maybe he's going to, he's going to show some of his power. He has a lot of power. Maybe he's going to do something, but he decides he does nothing. He does nothing. He willingly takes the beating. And while on the cross, he screams, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he renders his spirit. Says, it is finished. And he renders his, his spirit. And so you strike the shepherd, the sheep are scattered. You, you strike the leader, the followers are scattered. And now they saw their beloved Savior killed on the cross. They saw the one that they had put all their tr trust and hope in him. And he's on the cross and he's dead. And they took his body lifeless and put him in the tomb. Like, like, and, he, and, they, and they didn't even give him the proper burial. Like a rag. Like the song that says, like a rose trampled on the ground. He took the fall. He took it from me above all. And so there, as you can imagine, if you ever, have you ever lost something in life? Have you ever went through something hard in life? How do you feel after that? You don't feel all strong. You don't feel all powerful. So them, themselves, they feel, they're afraid. They're afraid. And so they, they, they lock the door and they hide. They're in hiding. And we're not different than them because when we go through something, when we go through hurt, we react the same way. They were afraid and they were afflicted. They were dismayed. They were distraught. They were scarred and they were scared. If you've ever been hurt in your life, if ever you ever had disappointment in your life, you know what it is to be scared, to be hurt again. You know what it is to be scarred where yes, you're, you're, you're trying to function, but the, the damage is still there. If you've ever been into a car accident, every time you, you go back to that corner where the car accident happened, you're a little bit more careful than the last time. You're a little bit more aware than the last time because you're scarred. There's a saying about scars. They says, from every wound, there is a scar and every scar tells a story that says, I have survived. And so the apostles, they're, they're scared. They're scarred. They're, they, they, they close the door. They, they're going through a collective trauma. They're going through collective pain. If you've ever been abused, you have a scar. If you've ever experienced trauma, right? A traumatic experience. For some of us, the traumatic experience is somebody betrayed us. You were putting your trust in someone. You, you thought they had your back. And at the peak moment where you needed them the most, they let you down. Then they let, and the fact that they let you down hurt you and it hurt you deeply. It's that moment where you, you thought that you, you guys were going out and then you see him with another girl. It's that moment where, where you see her kissing another guy and you're like, what in the world is going on? And you thought that you had something. You ever met somebody that, you, you know, they, they, they broke up with them, but they just didn't know it yet. It's like a celebrity. I forgot her name, but one of the actors that she was going to said that they broke up on Twitter and she found out while she was in interviewing with Oprah. So she found 
say, oh, you guys broke up. I say, what were you talking about? Twitter. Oh, we did? Betrayal. And it hurts deep inside. If it's not betrayal, it's abuse, right? Parental abuse, right? We grew up in a culture that's very tough. And sometimes, yes, you need to be somewhat tough, but you need to, you know, manage it. But sometimes we don't manage it well, right? And so what we consider normal sometimes is actually abuse. It's whether physical abuse or emotional abuse, right? Where you come home with like five A's, one B. I mean, I gave you five A's, one. Why are you tripping? Amen. I mean, I know some people are like, I'm happy just with the C's, bro. I mean, D is passing grade too. Don't, don't get on my case too much. But we, we go through these, whether it's betrayal, whether it's abuse, whether it's trauma, or sometimes it's just hope. Hope deferred. You were hoping for something, right? You spent all your money going to college and you're studying your program and you're hoping, you know, when I'm graduating, all the employers, they're going to line up and they're going to give me my dream job, right? They're gonna, and then that, that dream job is going to start with six figures. But all you're able to get is, is, is that other job that you don't want, that you don't like. And now your hope is deferred. And now you feel a certain type of way. You're closed up. Somebody nice comes for a relationship, but because the other guy hurt you, now you don't want to open up anymore. You have a possibility for an interview, but you know what? Because I messed up all the other 10 interviews, I don't want to go to that one no more. I'm okay where I'm at. And now you're like the apostles, and you're, you're, you're locked up behind, behind doors. But can I tell you something? A scar simply means that you were stronger than whatever tried to hurt you. In other words, you're still here. In other words, I'm still here. Touch your neighbor and say, yo, bro, I'm still here. Hey, sister, I'm still here. I might be scarred, but I'm still here. I might have a setback, but I'm still here. Maybe I've fallen down. Sometimes the biggest disappointment is ourselves, right? You're trying to live a certain way for Christ, and you find that you're falling down, and you're not living up to the, the, the promises. You're not living up to what you promised yourself, that you promised God that you would do. You say, God, you know what? If you take me out of this problem, I will serve you faithfully, right? And God got you out of the problem, and then you fell again. And then you fell again, and you're not living up. And now the disappointment and all your frustration is not against people from the outside. It's against yourself. But maybe you've fallen, but you're still here. Maybe you have a setback, but, but you're still here. And so the disciples, they were scarred. They were scared. They were scarred. But they were still here. And Jesus, if you follow with me in verse, the second part, scarred and there, verse 19, being 20, he says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus came. So the doors were locked, and the Bible doesn't say that Jesus opened the door. It says that Jesus just stood in the middle of them. How many people can be grateful for a God that doesn't necessarily need to open the door? He can just show up. Amen. And some of us, maybe the doors are locked. Maybe we locked ourselves. And, and Sodom of the abuse, maybe the abuse that you went through was in religious settings. Maybe it was people in the church that, that hurt you. So now you close your door to the church. You close your doors to God. But can I tell you something? God is not the church. 
in the sense that God is not religious people. And God is not concerned. God is not wanting your religious acts. God wants a relationship with you. God is not here for how you dress. God is here for your heart. And maybe you blocked them out because of what other people did to you. But I want to tell you today, we serve a God that can just show up. We serve a God that can just appear in the midst of your situation. Maybe you feel locked out and you feel stuck, but Jesus is the one that can just appear in the midst. And if he comes in the midst, that's when everything changes. The apostle Paul and his, his friend Silas, they were in jail and they were, they were stuck. They were in chains in the middle of the night. It says, but what did they do? They worship. And while they worship, it says a big earthquake happened and uh, their chains were broken. And the, the guard that was guarding them, he was about to take his life because if they escaped, he would get their fate. So he would get the death penalty. So he was ready to just take his own life. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. We're all here. We didn't escape because we didn't need to escape. We just needed God to come in. And when God came in, he broke the chains. So maybe you're in chains this morning, this afternoon. But I want to tell you that if you let God in, he can break those chains. He can break those chains. And maybe you've been hurt by people in the church. But don't mistake people in the church for Jesus Christ. They're not the same. They're not the same. Jesus is his own man. Jesus is his, his own God. And he showed his love by his scars. He showed his love by his scars. You see, he said he appeared in the midst of them. And to show who he was, he showed them the scars. And we said each scar has a story. And the story that the scars of Jesus tell us is the story of a God who cares so much that he would send his only begotten son to die on the cross for you and me. And now you cannot tell me that God doesn't care about me. He did care about you. He shows you that he cares by showing you his scars. His scarred hands says that he cares. His pierced side says that he cares. He showed them who he was. He showed them the scars. But you know what this, that means? Whatever tried to kill him, whatever tried to put him down, failed. So when the armies of the enemy, they put everything they had to try to tempt Jesus, to try to make Jesus fall. And and, 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 and when you see the evilness of, of what the, the crucifixion was and all of that, Satan failed. Because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus appeared in their midst and he showed himself to them. And when they realized that the one that they thought was dead is actually alive, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. So Jesus was scarred, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of the resurrection, he was able to still be there. And likewise, as servants of Christ, you will go through trial, but understand this, that with Jesus Christ, you're still there. And, and my thing is this, if you're able to breathe, that means God has a purpose for your life. If you're able to breathe, if you're able to, that means God has a purpose for your life. We went through a hard two years and, and, and there was a lot of damage that was done. There was a lot of hurt that was done. There was a lot of punches that we took. But guess what? We're still here and we're not going anywhere. Because we're still here because of the power of God. So they were scarred. They were scared. 
But Jesus appeared as the one that is scarred and he's still there. And if he was with them, he is with you. And then, but there's a, there's a phrase that's kind of like a little mind boggling. It's hard to approach. It says, he comes and he tells them, peace be with you. Right. And, and I understand the first one because the first one, they were in, in anxiety. They were afraid. They were, they were, they were down. They were sad. They were, and Jesus said, guys, chill. I'm here. Peace be with you. And the peace in the, in the Jewish mindset means wholesomeness. It's not only, uh, um, not having conflict. It's yes, it's not having conflict. It's yes, not, 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 not having anxiety. It's peace of heart, but it is to be all together wholesome, right? It's, that's why they say shalom. It, 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 it's a mix of peace. It's a mix of prosperity. It's a mix of health. It's a, that you will be well. And I want to tell you that that's God's desire for you is that you would be well. Is that you would be wholesome in, in your being. That you would be content in, in, in Him. That you would be fully fulfilled with His presence. But then, He goes and He says, so He says, "A first, but peace be with you. But then He, gets, he says, a second, peace be with you. As a father has sent me, I am sending you. And that's when you realize, when you, you start thinking, is that they're being sent to their scars. They're being sent to their scars. He says, so verse 21 says, Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So the first peace be with you is, I want you to be well. I want you to not worry about what you saw in the past couple of days because I'm still here. I'm with you. And he showed them their scars, his scars and his... But then he said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, if we backtrack in the gospel, well, how did the Father send Jesus? And Jesus said about the crucifixion, this is why I have come. This is why I have come. I have come, so I'm not going to try to get away from the cross Ultimately, not my will, your will be done. I am going to the cross. I am going to the scars. And Jesus went for the scars because it was the purpose of God. I wish I could tell you everything is going to be fine and dandy. I wish I could tell you once you come to Jesus, all your problems are, are gone. All your problems are, are, are done with. But that would not be accurate. You know, we have the what we call the prosperity gospel, and it's one of those where um, if you come to Jesus, minimum is six figures, um, nice car, nice house, everything is good. Oh, by the way, you can't be sick. If you're sick, something is wrong with you. So no, 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 you can't be sick. I, I remember like I had eczema, and this girl said, well, you got to pray. Like God got to take that because you can't be sick. I'm like, dude, I'm praying, but <laughs> it's still, still there. And, and the, the reality is, in my opinion, it's not that it's wrong. It's that the timing is off. There's a time that's coming where, yes, you don't have any sickness. Yes, you don't have any worries. Yes, you don't have any, any pain. The Bible says that he, he wipes away every tears from their eyes. Right and 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 so and and in the kingdom of God there there is peace there is joy there is all of these things and there, the enemy has been taken down for 
and, and, and sent into the abyss and you're good. That's the real prosperity. It's when we get to the kingdom of God. But until then, we have scars. Until then, we have battles. But he's telling them, as I'm sending you to the battle, because you are my soldiers, I want you to be at peace. I want you to be at peace. He says, peace be with you, because I am sending you the same way God, my father, sent you. And I want to tell you, this generation, we are sent into the world. Like the previous generation, Paul is not there. Elijah is not there. Moses is not there. Right now, it's you. Right now, it's Brother Perry, Brother Dave, Brother Eli, Brother Judner. It's you that God is sending out to carry his word, to carry himself, to be representative of Christ. But we're going into a crazy world. I'm, I'm, we're going into a crazy world. Uh, it's funny because if you look at the um, four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Um, if you, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm into that stuff. I read scripture, revelation, right? You look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and I mean, I mean, I mean, I feel like they're here, like, I mean, not here in the church, but here in the world, because the one is the white horse of war, and he goes to war. What do we have going on now? Where's the war? Okay, so that's, that's actually one war. What, Ukraine and Russia, but that's just one war. There are many other wars. We just don't talk about them, but Yemen is at war. They have 270,000 people dead. Ethiopia is at war. Several other African countries are at war. You have conflict in Latin America. You have conflict all over the world, but we, but we, we don't necessarily talk about them. But before we point fingers at other people, you always have to look at yourself. We might not be in a physical war with another country, but we're at war with ourselves. 2021 was the highest murder rate in America for 25 years. Close to 20,000 people were killed in 2021 in America. That is as much as some wars out there, right? So, so we have conflict abroad, but then we have conflict in our streets. So, so, and there's the, the violence is that, so that's one horseman. Another horseman is the, um, is the horseman as a pale horseman, right? The, the horseman of disease. Well, what did we just have for the past two years? A pandemic, right? But the pandemic is just one. That's, that's what makes the headlines. But heart disease killed more people. Cancer killed more people. Diabetes, Alzheimer's, and all of these that are all over the world, and they are here. And then you have the black horse, and the black horse is the um, the horse of 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 of, um, of famine, of famine, recession. And he says, "Oh man, this I'm feeling that one though." Amen. Yeah, you're feeling that one, right? He says, well, one, one bag of bread for $1,000, right? One, one, uh, uh, one gallon of gas for $5. Amen. And that one hurt. How many people, you go to the gas station, you pump the gas, and you're astonished by the number that comes up? I'm like, man, I don't remember it being that high. I, I didn't think you could get that high, right? Uh, it's like soon they're going to have to add another number to this thing because it keeps going higher and higher. But guess what? If we have recession here, that means elsewhere in the world they have famine. Well, we pay more for things, but we're still eating. Other places they can't afford, so now they can't even eat. 
And so we feel like the whole set of revelation is on us. But guess what? That's the world that God is sending us into. It's not a friendly world. It's not a world that believes what you believe. But guess what? God still loves them. God still wants to bring them to be part of the fold. And that's not unsimilar to what Paul and Peter and all of these guys, they had to go through. Paul would go into a city and he would get beat up. And at some point they would beat him up to the point that they thought he was dead. They stoned Paul and they looked, they said he was dead. Paul got up and you know what he did? You think he went back home to, to, to hide? No, he went back to the next city and started preaching again. And started preaching again. And start preaching again. Because he understood that the end game is not in this world. The end game is in the next world. So I'm just working here so I can make room for the next game, the next world. So Jesus is sending them to their scars in a world that is crazy at the time. But he's not sending them with, to their, to the, to, sending them to their scars with nothing. He's sending them scarred, but they are empowered. If you read with me, verse 22 and 23 says, And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gauge of God. So Jesus comes to them and he breathes on them and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And I want to bring to you that anytime that God is breathing something, it's a new beginning. Um, the first time God breathed on something it was at the time of creation when he created man out of dust. And the Bible says that he breathed the breath of life into man and man got up and man got started, what became a living soul. And Adam and Eve, what did God assign them? He said, be fruitful and multiply. Right, be fruitful and multiply. Now come the second creation, the recreation. Jesus breathes on his disciple and says, "As the Father sent you, I am sending you, because we are the ambassadors of the new creation." You know you're in a war. I don't know if you notice, but you know you're in a spiritual war, right? When you see the world is doing crazy things, and you're like, "Oh, why are they doing this? Or oh, why are they hating on us?" It's because we're in a war. But the war that we're waging is the only war that doesn't bring death, it brings life. It's the only war that when you win, somebody comes to life rather than die. And so God is sending them, but he's not sending them powerless. He's sending them empowered by breathing on them the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the gauge of God is God's deposit. And uh, we get three things from the Holy Spirit, uh, amongst other things, but three things for the purposes of our message today. One is we get permission. We get permission to open the door. There is something called the anointing, right? And the Holy Spirit is a symbol of the anointing. The anointing in the Old Testament was the oil that was put on men and women of God for the office that they were about to, 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 to fulfill. Now, the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament is the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was on people, but wasn't in 
people, right? It was on them. So when the prophet came to David's house and, and asked the father for the sons, when they finally got to David, he poured oil on David to anoint him king, to say that this man will now be the king. And you will see the anointing on the priest. You will see the anointing on the prophet. Those were the three offices of the Old Testament, the king, the priest, and the prophet. And you could not mix the king and the priesthood, right? You could not uh, the, the, a lot, some kings in the Bible, they tried to do the priesthood work and God said, nah, 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 and God took their life away. Because in reality, there's only one that fulfills all three and that one is Jesus Christ. That's why Christ, you guys know, what's Jesus' last name? What's Jesus' last name? What do you guys think is Jesus' last name? It's not Christ. Christ is not a last name. Christ is a title that means the anointed one. Christ is the anointed one, the one chosen as king, priest, and prophet. And so when you were anointed, that gave you the permission to fulfill the, 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 the job that God has given you. So David, before getting the anointing, he was an, he was just a shepherd boy. But once he received the anointing, you knew that God's hand was on him to make him king. And so Jesus, by giving them the Holy Spirit, he gives them permission to fulfill the work that he has for them. And for us, if you follow with me in 1 Corinthians 1, next slide please, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, 22, it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now I want you to pay attention to a couple of things, right? He says, for no matter how many promises God has made, so if you go in the Old Testament, you have a lot of promises in, in the New Testament, a lot of promises of God. Those promises, they are yes in Christ. In other words, everything that God has to offer, everything that God has to give, you have in Christ, because in Christ it is a yes. The only thing you have to do is say amen, amen, amen. The only thing you have to do is say amen. God wants to bless you this way, say amen, God, I receive it. God wants to, to provide for you in a certain way, all you have to do is say amen. And he says, why is that? It's because he anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, right? So, so when you go buy something, right? And something of, of certain value, what happens when they want to make sure you come back? What do they ask of you? They ask you for a deposit, right? If anybody wants to get married, anybody married, married here? Amen. When you went to get the room, the, the, the ballroom, what did they ask for? They asked for a deposit because the deposit is the guarantee that you're coming back, right? It's the guarantee that they can start doing things for that special day and they can start spending money because you're coming back because you put a deposit. If, if, for those of you who got married, 
you had two gentlemen, you had to buy two rings, right? You had to buy the, 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 the wedding ring, but there's another ring that you had to buy is the engagement ring. And the engagement ring is what? It's a promise. It's a promise. All right, baby girl, here's the, the ring. We're going to get this thing done. And until then, this is the gauge that I'm committed to you so that we can get married. And so God in his wisdom, he gives us a deposit. It gives us a deposit that guarantees everything that is to come, that guarantees that you're going to be in heaven. And that deposit is none other than himself, the Holy Spirit. It's none other than himself, the Holy Spirit. You understand that God, we say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now understand this, when we talk about the God the Father, we think about God is in heaven, right? So God is in heaven, he's far. Up there in heaven, and, and, and we can feel like he he don't understand us. That's what Job was saying. Like he there's no there's not a mediator between me and God, so he don't understand me. And that was Job saying that the good guy. But then God said, you know what? I feel you. Let me let me take care of that. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus as the redeemer. Jesus as the the mediator between God and men. And what is Jesus's other name? Is called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And so Jesus is with us. But with the Holy Spirit, it's a deeper level. It's a deeper level because now he's no longer in heaven somewhere. He's not only not walking with you, he's walking in you. He's inside of you. That means he's with you everywhere you go. So with that is the guarantee. So God is pledging himself to you that he's going to bring everything to pass. So that plan that he has for your life cannot go astray. Yes, you can go a detour. Yes, you can go right. Yes, you can go left. But eventually you will make it to destination because he is the one guaranteeing it. How many people are, are glad that it doesn't depend on you? It's like that casting crown sign song that says, I'm not holding on to you. You're holding on to me. Because if I was holding on to God, I could let him go. And, and God knows I have let him go some time. But thank God he has never let me go. Thank God he's always held on to me. And that's the promise that the Holy Spirit gives. It is the guarantee that he's not going to let you go because he's committed to you to the end. You see, your mom and dad, they can abandon you. I guarantee you, you can love your mom and dad, but you could do something so bad that they're like, okay, you know what? I'm done with you. Your, 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 your boo, your, 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 oh, he's so fire. You could do something so bad, they're going to let you go. They're going to send you a nice email, text message, deuces. But he will never let you go. He will never, ever, ever let you go. He looked at, you know, you guys know I like the MCU, right? Oh, I, I, I liked it before they're, they're not going a little too deep end. But um, in, in one of those movies, Doctor Strange is looking at the future, right? And he's looking at all of the options. And he finds only one option for them to win. Well, Jesus looked at everything that you would ever do. He looked at all the bad stuff that you would ever do and he said, I'm still going. I'm still dying. So there's nothing you could do that's going to take away his love that he has for you. Because Jesus is out of time. Jesus is not in time. Jesus, the word of God is past, present, and future. So in the past, the present, and future, he saw all your life. He saw everything. You're seeing here and now, and you're concerned about here and now, and you think, oh, I'm a joker right now, or I'm messing up right now, but he's seeing a man of God tomorrow. He's seeing the promise of God fulfilled in your life tomorrow. And so he entered time at the, at the peak of time where he decided, you know what, I'm going to die for you on the cross. Yes, I've seen everything you've did and I still 
die on the cross for you. You know, there's some people, if they knew what you were going to do, they would like, oh, I'm going to keep it moving. But not Jesus, because Jesus is committed. And he gives his spirit as the guarantee. And that spirit cannot be broken. So that guarantee cannot be broken. So the first is you get permission to open the door. You get permission to be bold. You got the anointing of God. So that means you cannot, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to live in darkness anymore because Jesus has overcome the grave. And if he overcame the grave, he overcame whatever's going to come at you. He overcame whatever's going to come at you. So you can, you have permission to open the door, permission to be bold, permission to be what God has called you to be. You know, one thing that really gets on my nerve is when I ask the young people, what you want to be when you grow up? And somebody goes and says, I want to be in the NBA. And they're the friend like, <laughs> if it was a lot, I would slap them. Because if God has called you to be in the NBA, you can be in the NBA. Don't listen to your friends. Put your head down, do the workout, and make it to where you need to make it. God has given you permission to be all that he's called you to be. And as last time I checked, God didn't have a limit. So if God doesn't have a limit, why would you have a limit? If God is not limited in space and time, why would you be limited in space and time? So you have permission from God to be whatever God has called you to be. And that permission comes comes with the Holy Spirit. And then he gives them power. So it's one thing to have permission, but you also need to have power. And he told them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's funny because when you look at this, you look, okay, well, in John chapter 20, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. But in Acts chapter 1, he's saying, you will receive the Holy Spirit. So which is it? Was it John or was it Acts? And, and, and the way to understand this is, is, is Jesus blew on them and gave them the promise, right? And, and so that was, so Passover is Friday. That was Sunday. Um, how many days between Passover and Pentecost? Let me see if you guys went to Bible school. How many days between Passover and Pentecost? No. Pentecost. Penta. Penta is what? 50. Exactly. No, five. Penta is five. So Pentecost is 50 days. 50 days from the Passover. So that means at that point, they had to wait from the time of the Passover to the time of the Pentecost for, so, so that means, what well, that means God can make a promise for your life. The problem that we have is that we're in a microwave generation. We want everything here and now. We want everything done now. I want my millions now. I want I want my boo or my significant other. I want them now, right? But God says, you're going to have to go through the process. You're going to have to wait. And the process that they had to go through the apostles is, it says they had to be all together and they had to be in prayer. A lot of times we want the power, but we don't want the prayer. But do you understand that the prayer is what unleashes the power? It's kind of like, imagine you go to the gas station, you're on E, right? You're on E. You're, 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 uh, you ever done that where you, you're on E? Like one time, I, I I I I got a lesson, right? I like to wait till the last minute. Actually, I pride myself in being able to ride, and and then the little gauge is like empty, but I know my car. I'm gonna make it until one day I make it to Costco for gas, cheap gas. Amen, Hallelujah. And I try to open the thing, and the thing doesn't open. The little fuel door. <laughs> 
it doesn't open. And I, I got the fear of God in my heart because I knew I could make it to Costco, but I don't know if I can make it to the next one. And how many times, and, and then I, I fingled with it and I opened it and I was able to put gas. But how many times we run on empty? We run as to the empty, to the empty, to the empty without going back to the source of the fuel that powers our lives, which is God, which is prayer, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what the apostle had to do, they had to be together in prayer, seeking the face of God. And while they were seeking the face of God, that's when they heard a boom from heaven and the Holy Spirit came down and empowered them to now go out and be the witnesses that they were supposed to be. And being the witness, the same Peter that was a coward the night of the crucifixion, the same Peter that was afraid of a little girl, now with the power of the Holy Spirit, he's able to stand in front of the council, the same council that crucified Christ and tell them, y'all messed up because you crucified the Prince of God, the Prince of Light. Now repent and he's able to stand strong. And they arrest him and they beat him up and then they release him and he goes and he preaches again. And then they go to Peter and John and they say, hey, we thought we told you to stop preaching in this name. And Peter and John go, hey, we cannot stop talking about what we've seen and what we experienced. Now you judge yourself. Should we listen to men or should we listen to God? And they became faithful all the way to death. And all the apostles except John, they all died for their faith. And that's one of the testimonies of the gospel is that all of these guys that were afraid on the night of the crucifixion, that were afraid days after the crucifixion, they became bold and they became empowered. Why? Because they had the power of the Holy Spirit and they all went all the way to their death for the kingdom of God. And that's how we know that for them, this was the truth. Because you don't die for a lie. You die only for the truth. And so they've seen the risen King. They've seen the risen Lord. And it's like, you know what? Jesus says, where I'm going, I'm preparing for you a place. And it's all right, let's go. Let's do this. And they went all the way because they had the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to tell you is now you have the power. Because if you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit. So you have the power. You have the power to open the door. You have the power. And sometimes the door might be a little jammed. Sometimes the door might be a little, the lock might be a little difficult. You might have to kick the door down. But eventually you need to tell yourself, I'm not going to stay locked up anymore. I'm not going to stay behind bars anymore. I'm going to be free. I'm going to be free to serve God. And I'm going to go wherever God wants me to go. I'm going to kick this door down because now you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have the power to break the chain. Some of us are struggling with, with sin after sin after sin after sin. But I want to tell you, you have the power because of the Holy Spirit in your life to break that, that cycle of sin. You have the power because the power comes from God to break it, to break the chain. And that's what happened in Peter's life. Denying Christ is a sin. Being impulsive the wrong way can be can, can lead to sin. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, you see Peter becoming more and more controlled, more and more intentional, more and more to the point that at the end, he was ready to go. Like they came and they got him and they crucified him. And he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way my Lord died. So they crucified them upside down. But that doesn't happen overnight. That's a process with the Holy Spirit. And so if you find yourself where you're, you're stuck, if you find yourself where you, you feel weak, you feel, you know what, Dave, I, I try, I try, but it always gets the best of me. I want to tell you this afternoon, this hang in there because God is with you. And with the power of God, you're going to be set free. Bible said in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit has delivered me from the law of flesh and sin. So the law of the spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit delivers you from the power of sin. So you are, you are empowered to open the door, break the 
trades, overcome sin, and you have the power to become what God has called you to be. So the Holy Spirit gives us permission, it gives us power, but the most important thing, it gives us presence. It gives us presence. It says in John 14, 16, 18, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you be and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I cannot tell you. I will come to you. So that's the promise that Jesus gave the apostle, right? He says, you know what? I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send for you the advocate. And that word paracletes means it's the advocate. It's the comforter in some version. It's the one friend that comes. When you're in trial, when when the heat is on, when you're in the hot seat and things are going bad, the, the paracletes is the friend that comes by your side. He's the friend when everybody's turning against you. He's the one that's coming by your side to defend you. He's the one that when everybody has abandoned you, he's the one that sticks to you closer than the brother. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I can't tell you that everything is going to be fun and dandy. I can't tell you that everything is going to be fine, but I can tell you, I can promise you that God will be with you. God will be with you because that's the promise that he that he made. He says, the spiritual of truth that the world can't see. He says, and he says something weird. He says, is with you? So meaning I'm here, you're here, he's with you. So he's one of the gang, he's one of the crew, but he will be in you. It will be inside of you. And that's the promise, the presence. So you can, sometimes access can be stuck, right? So at a certain point, Peter was in jail. Paul was in jail. John was in the island of Patmos. Uh, uh, isolated from everybody. Sometimes you can say, yeah, Dave, I have permission, but I, I can't get anywhere. And sometimes, you know what? God is going to hold you in place. Sometimes God is going to tell you not now. Sometimes you're going to, you're going to be stuck. But guess what? If you look at John, when he was in the island of Patmos, when he was away from everybody and he couldn't get to nobody, guess what? That's when he got the biggest revelation. That's why, that's when he saw the throne of God. That's when he saw the book of Revelation and, and wrote the biggest, really the biggest revelation that we have of the other side in, in the Bible. It's when he was alone. So maybe you find yourself alone right now. Maybe, yes, you got homeboys, but they don't understand you. Yes, you have homegirls, but they don't understand you. But I want to tell you, God understands you and God is with you and God is with you. And so you might not have all the access that you want. You might not feel powerful. You might not have all the power that you want, but God is with you. There's a church in Revelation. God, Jesus says, you have little power. You don't have a lot of power, but you kept my word. And because you kept my word, I'm going to bless. So you might not have a lot of power right now, but if you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. If you have Christ, you have everything that you need. And what you need, number one, is guidance. He gives you guidance. Being, having the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit is means to be governed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. So he gives you guidance, but then he gives you confidence. It gives you confidence. He says the Holy Spirit is the comforter. When you're sad, when you're weak, he's by your side and he's the one comforting you. And with the presence of the Holy Spirit, everything is going to be okay. And so what I want to challenge you is this. When you have, when you know God is with you, you know, it's like, you ever been beat up in school? You ever been beat up? Amen. How many people can say amen for big brothers? Amen. Amen. So, so you're in school and, and you're the little, like, I, to me, I wasn't a fighter in school. I wasn't a fighter, but I had a friend and that friend was a fighter. That friend was like, we were in sixth grade. He was fighting people that were 20 years, like really, he was fighting people that were 20 year old and winning the fight, right? And, and that was one of my best friends. 
friends. So guess what? If you're a friend with him, ain't nobody touching you. Ain't nobody touching you because if they touch you, it's like they touch him. Now, understanding that Jesus is in your life, Jesus is in your heart, you have guidance, but you also have confidence because you know that wherever you go, he goes. Wherever he goes, you go. So they can try to touch you, but the big brother is is the one that's protecting you. They can try to take you down, but they can never take you down because, you know, it's some stuff that you try to take down, but when you have a life vest, you can't go down. You always rise back to the top. You always rise back up to the top. So what I want to tell you this this afternoon is open the door. Have the confidence that come with being a child of God. So tomorrow is Monday. If you go to work, put your nicest work clothes and go in there with confidence because Jesus is with you. And we live in a time where we need the children of God to be out there and to be confident and to be representative of Christ. So my challenge to you is open that door, get out and do God's work. Amen.